Well, we're going to have an expert on as our moderator, Hope Edelman. And Hope is, we appreciate her being on with us. She is the mother of the motherless daughters and author of eight nonfiction books, including bestsellers, Motherless Daughters and Motherless Mothers. And her most recent book is The After Grief. Her books have been published in 17 countries, 11 languages, and it's sold over a million copies. Hope speaks at venues and conferences all over the world and has appeared frequently on television, including the Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, and many more. Hope, thank you so much for moderating this panel today and for being the person you are to stand up for the motherless daughters. You're very welcome. Heidi, you want to introduce our panel? I'd love to introduce the panel that Hope is moderating. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, Megan Reardon Jarvis. I will start with Megan. Megan is a licensed clinical social worker, an author, a podcast host, and a TEDx speaker. She is the founder of Tacking Point Partners and a psychotherapist specializing in trauma and grief and loss. After the deaths of both her parents within two years of each other, Megan began speaking about the importance of supporting grievers. She hosts the podcast, Grief is My Side Hustle, and wrote a memoir called The End of the Hour. Welcome to our conference, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so joining her is Claire Bidwell-Smith. Uh, Claire is a therapist specializing in grief and the author of multiple books, including Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. Claire offers numerous online programs for grief. She works with people one-on-one -on -one and trains clinicians to work in the field of grief and loss. Welcome, Claire. Thank you. And let's see, um, Dina Babel. Dina is here today as well. Hi, Dina. Dina is an expert in the field of fatherlessness and specializes in helping fatherless daughters reconcile their past in order to find their life's purpose. She is the creator of the Fatherless Daughter Movement and is an award-winning author of The Fatherless Daughter Project, Understanding Our Losses and Reclaiming Our Lives. She has appeared on the Today Show CNN and Fox News, and is a weekly contributor to NBC's Atlanta and Company. Welcome, Dina. Thank you. Thanks for having me, ladies. It's good to see you. Wonderful to have you all on. And last but not least, Ken Ross, who is one of our board members at Open to Hope and has been in this field his entire life. He is the son of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the founder and president of the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation. He also served on the board of the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Center. Ken was the principal care provider for his mother in the last nine years of her life. Ken has lectured on his mother's legacy for hospices and various conferences all over the world. And he just recently returned from India. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Heidi. I will turn it over to you all now. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much. And thanks for pulling together this terrific panel. It is an honor to be in the conversation with these colleagues for the next 20 minutes or so. Um, you know, I have a question. I thought I'd start with a question and, and let people take it and run with it. We'll sort of see where it goes. In the motherless daughters field, which I've been working in for almost 30 years, the 30 year anniversary of motherless daughters next year, which I can't believe it's possible to say. But um, Claire and I have been working together for about seven years or so leading retreats. And we divide up our retreats for motherless daughters 
by age because the experience of losing a mom when you're a child is so different than losing a mom in your 20s or losing a mother when you're an adult. And the same is true for loss of either parent because we are um, our, our identity development is affected. We bring different forms of cognition, emotional maturity, perspective, life experiences to the loss whenever it occurs. So my first question for the panel is, I'm going to ask if you could let us know how you feel that losing your parent at the specific time in your life that you lost him or her affected your personal development or affected your identity if it was forming still at that time. And, you know, for many of us, identity is an ongoing process. So Megan, would you start? And then we'll go to Ken sure. and then Clara and Dina. Sure. Thanks, Hope. Um, so my dad died in 2017 of cancer and he from it was about a year from diagnosis to death and then two years and a month later my mom died suddenly in her sleep so in the world of grief and loss and in my field which is trauma we sort of talk about the compound loss experience mm -hmm. and what I, the way that i would answer this is it wasn't one of them it was the both of them and that, you know, it's the generation behind you, it's the backstop that suddenly pulled out. And what was interesting, I have a friend who when when I was pregnant with my first daughter, she said, it goes down like this, either the garbage that you haven't cleared up with your family of origin is going to show up in your parenting or the garbage in your marriage is going to show up in your in your parenting, like whatever isn't healed. And she was right about that. What I discovered was that um, sort of the unresolved threads of a long term bit of codependency that had existed, my wanting to take care of my very large family, which, of course, is based on a childhood experience of trauma way back, still existed as when my parents were alive. So this real quick answer to this piece is that when my parents who held that history and were part of that history and part of that trauma suddenly fell out, a huge part of how I identified, mm -hmm. um, I called it the center tent pole, pulled out from underneath me in a way that I didn't even know it was present. I didn't realize, I had this moment where I was looking at my like mantelpiece in my house and everything on the mantelpiece was something that I was like, do I like that? Or did my mom like that? Mm. Did, mm. Is, you know, is, is what's here even my choices? I don't know. And so, and, and folks on the panel know that I, I had PTSD after my mom died. And a lot of what happens in that is a lack of safety. So I really think that the surprise of feeling um panicked about not having parents and that was a real surprise to me because I was a grown-up my dad wasn't paying my bills I wasn't turning to my mom to help me make decisions but actually they were stitched inside all the decisions I was making all the time right and safety isn't just about necessarily our financial security or where we live you're talking about a kind of emotional security about being tethered to a system about feeling you know and your identity as a daughter in the physical yeah. world um, changed so rapidly. I was 17 when my mother died. My father didn't die for another 23 years. I was 40, which is still relatively young, but um, that was a long time to still be a daughter. When you lose parents in quick succession like that, that's a huge identity shift. Thank you. Yeah, Megan. thank you. Thank you for the question. Ken, can we um, send the same question over to you? 
Yes. Well, I had two parents who are doctors. And so if you can imagine every night at the dinner table, <clears throat> they talked about death. Um, and I mean, every night. And so <laughs> I grew up from the time I was basically nine, 10 years old, hearing about death every week, if not every night. And on top of that, my father had a bad heart. My mom had seen a psychic who said somebody in the house was going to die six months from that date. And we assumed it was going to be my father. And three months later, my father's mother moved in. And at that exact month that she predicted, my grandmother died. Mm -hmm. But it really started thinking, you know, I was thinking about all these questions about life and death and how the psychic know that somebody in our house was going to die. Um, and for me, you know, for 20 years, my father's bad heart kind of hung over me. And so it was almost worse having this fear of he's going to die at any minute. Mm. It was almost worse than when he actually died when I was 32, because mm. it just hung over me for 20 years. And every time we got a phone call late at night, we expected, oh, our father's dead. So it's this kind of weight of our father's going to die any day, any week, every mm. month. And that mm. kind of weighed on me really heavily for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so when he finally died, it was like, in one way, it was kind of relief. And in another way, it was kind of surreal that, wow, I can't believe it actually happened because it's been sitting on my shoulders for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a strange situation, like just thinking about it so much over 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, but when he did die, of course, you know, I became the elder male in the family. So the weight of that burden of taking care of my mother and her legacy and right. all our business fell upon me. And so I felt like it really kind of ended any youth I had still clung on to was gone. And I was truly an adult at that point. Claire and I just finished a training program for therapists who want to work with women who've lost mothers. And we talked about adult mother loss and one of the, the really striking and fundamental differences when you lose a parent during adulthood versus childhood are the instrumental tasks that you often need to step into as an adult, like you're saying, Ken, working with the estate or the legacy or clearing out a house, or especially if you're an only child, um, a lot of the responsibility falls on that person in a way that it wouldn't when you're a child because the adults around you would be expected to step in. Claire, you wrote in the rules of inheritance about losing your mother at the formative age of 18. Can you talk a little bit with the group assembled here today about how you feel that losing her at that time in your life shaped your identity or your personal development? I know it's a big question, but. Yeah, no. Um, well, you know, I, I am an only child. And when I was 14, both of my parents got cancer at the same time. Um, my mother died first when I was 18. And then my father seven years later when I was 25. And my mother's death was really the kind of defining experience of my life to this day in a lot of ways, but definitely in my early adulthood. Um, but I immediately was thrust into this place of anticipatory grief for my father because he was sick and so much older. So even right after my mother died, I knew that I would probably not have parents by 30. Um, and both of those losses have just immensely affected my identity. You know, I was going through these things at a time when none of my peers were thinking about death and life and grief and existential questions that I was really grappling with. Um, I really experienced a lot of anxiety, um, just feeling um, like I didn't know what I could rely on. My entire family system disappeared on me as I was kind of walking into adulthood. 
So in terms of identity, definitely a sense of other just really set apart from my peers. Um, I felt delays in a lot of places because I was grappling with so much at a time when I should have just been going to college and, you know, pursuing careers and relationships. So I felt a little derailed. Um, but then I also felt an incredible sense of independence um, and growth and strength in ways that my peers weren't going through. So that was an interesting aspect. And all of that loss in early adulthood has continued to play out throughout my adulthood now in terms of my mothering, being a parent, my marriage, um, my just sense of being in the world. Right. Uh, the ripple effects of, of those losses have completely shaped my identity in really profound ways, some difficult and some really uh, beautiful that I'm grateful for. Right. And as we know, from working in this field, it's not just the death of a parent that really impacts children and teenagers in particular, but it's everything that happens after mm -hmm. and how the surviving caregiver, if there is one, because you may lose two parents when you're young, how they cope mm -hmm. is such an important determinant of the child or the, you know, the son or the daughter's long-term adaptation. We were talking in the green room before we all came on today about how um, losing a parent when you're a teenager in particular, when you're trying to balance the tasks of adolescence and the tasks of mourning, you can go into extreme overload, which is why a lot of teenagers just push aside the mourning or have gaps in their development as children do as well. But um, we were talking about how it becomes such a big part of your identity because that's your those are the years where you are forming your independent identity. So losing a parent during those years becomes, like you said, Claire, the defining moment of not just of your life up to that point, which it is for so many, but also of um, your identity formation. You identify as a, as a daughter who lost a mother or a father or a son who lost a mother or a father. And Dina, you were 13 when you lost your dad. So am I speaking to the choir here? Is this something that was your experience as well? You know, I was three when my parents divorced and, um, I would say I saw my dad maybe two or three times a year up until the age of 13 when he was actually murdered and we never found out who did it or what happened. And so a lot to say about this topic, but I was listening to the book Spare that was written and there was a lot that I connected to with Prince Harry because he was talking about the magical thinking that happens. And when I was 13 years old, in my mind, my dad was a little bit like Elvis, like this big person that may or may not have died. Maybe he was still alive, even though I saw him in a casket. He did have a little blood on his head. So I don't know that I was a conspiracy theorist, but I think I thought there is a chance he could come back, you know. And when I was at the funeral, I actually fainted. Um, my uncle came and, you know, kind of took care of me, make sure I was okay. And I think it was so overwhelming because back at home, I got used to him not being in my life, right? It was just every once in a while for big occasions. And um, I missed him so much, but I really pushed the, the pain way below the surface, which, you know, the hallmark for a fatherless daughter is isolation, right? And I was not, obviously my brain was still forming and from cognitively, I would say I kind of checked out from school. My grades looked good, but I was deeply, deeply 
mad and angry inside of my body and not understanding what had happened and how this was going to affect my life. And I remember coming back home from the funeral and I was in the backseat of my mom's car, which I hated the car, because in my mind, if my parents got back together financially, we would all be good and we wouldn't be going through struggles. I was having like an argument with God in my head and was upset that, you know, I was in this position. And I remember God saying to me, yeah, your, your childhood's not been that great. And I don't know if your adulthood's going to get any better, but eventually you're going to kind of understand what happened. And believe it or not, it gave me a sense of purpose at that really young age. And mm-hmm. because you're dealing with your identity so much there, I would say the two spots in where it really put a fork in the road for me was as a very creative person and I forego like what I really wanted to do with my life for stability, for financial stability. So I went into the field of nursing versus the creative field of writing and doing all the things I wanted to do because of fear of not being financially stable. And then I think from an interpersonal experience, you do almost the same thing where I went to safety. So instead of looking for true love, I look for who can I subconsciously be with that can't leave me, but I can leave them. Because at all times, the grief is bubbling. And when the fear of reabandonment is imminent in any way, it's going to overspill and come out in the weirdest times, in situations where you're not ready to be able to control what's happening to you. So the double experience of your parents' divorce and then your father's death, I think you're saying, affected your personal development in almost every way, because they happened both when you were so young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of us here were invited to be here today because we have professional, um, we have a professional bent or we have, we have shaped our professions around grief and loss. And we all have the personal experience of it too. Megan, your, your parents died when you were an adult. So you were already sort of on your professional path, but how has the arc of your professional life been impacted or shaped by the death of your parents, which is, you know, what we talk about when we talk about post-traumatic growth, how can a trauma or a major loss be used as a springboard for a new sense of meaning or purpose? Do you feel that the loss of your parents um, has done that for you in your professional life? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd go backwards if I could have them back and maybe not have the the change I would, but a lot of, when I look at my career in general and I, you know, I started out as a teacher, I've always been a nanny and a, I've always um, been sort of in the helping profession again, because there was a death in my childhood of a teenager that was really beloved to my whole family. Um, and it, it shocked the core of the family unit and my job sort of as a child in, in, I have five brothers and sisters in the middle was to kind of, you know, not let, and let's not take on any more water. So when I came into, when I found therapy, which was, I found it because I went through my own breakup and was like, just couldn't recover. And so, you know, a nice colleague was like, here's the name of a lady you should call her. And I went into therapy and that therapist was like, yeah, no, I heard about the breakup, you know, and also we might talk about what went on in your family and how, so I learned, I was like, no, that's not the problem. It's definitely the breakup. I learned in that decade of therapy that, you know, trauma leaves an imprint that then drives a whole series of behaviors. What I didn't understand 
was that then when I was like, oh, great, I want to become a therapist who's trained in trauma, that what I was trying to do was inoculate myself from any horrifying experience that might happen in the future. I didn't really, it wasn't conscious. I wasn't like, great, if I take all the hard trainings and I read all the books and I help all the people, I'm in DC, I, you know, I'm working with people who are in security firms who've been through terrible events. I know how to do treatments and work. I don't think I understood that what I was trying to do was make sure none of that bad stuff ever happened to me again. So mm -hmm. when my mother died and I almost immediately, I mean, the first thought that came to my head when I learned that she died and Ken, I had a very similar energetic sort of woo woo -wee experience with learning that she died. When she died, the first thought I had was it's your fault. And like, as a trauma therapist, I know that that's a rumination that's meant to distract me from the actual grief of what's going to happen, which is I have to go learn to live the whole rest of my, I mean, I, the meta behind it was so intense, but really I had a white hot fury of like, wait a second, this was supposed to be the cushion from, you know, the trauma happening. So what happened was deeply humbling, which was then I experienced really from the inside, all of the things that I help treat with people, you know, when people are coming to me with EMDR for EMDR, I hadn't really ever had present day experiences that I needed EMDR for. So mm -hmm. the, the real morphing and the change for me was when I came out of my own very early stages of grief and the sort of ringing of a bell calmed down, there were some core things that I really deeply understood that we don't, we haven't served the grieving population well. And my soapbox mm -hmm. on that is I really think we should be teaching people about the brain and the body and how those changes happen because we could the same way we teach about puberty. So mm -hmm. I am grateful to be a person in that space who has both the professional experience and the personal experience to do that. I never intended, I mean, I know so many of us in the grief world are like, this is not what I thought I was going to be doing. I really had a beautiful office. I was just going to sit in that office and see one client at a time, a few couples. I'm, you know, mm -hmm. I've written three books since this has happened. It, there's a lot that is growing from the, the, the deep message that I feel like I hold in my hands, which is we could support grievers differently. We should support yeah. grievers differently. You know, that brings up an interesting point. Claire, um, you're a therapist. Do you feel that everyone who loses a parent would benefit from therapy or do we really need someone to talk to and reality check with? Yeah, I don't think um, necessarily everyone would benefit, but I think everyone benefits from some form of um, working through complicated issues that arise from loss or um, just having someone bear witness to their grief and their loss and their experience. I think that's a really important part of it. That isolation we all keep touching on, that otherness. Um, when you have someone who can bear witness or a group that can bear witness to your experience, I think that's really healing. You and I, we, we encounter so many adults who didn't get that when they were younger. Um, so I'm going to, with the final question, I'm going to toss it to Dina and Ken, which is, did you receive or avail yourself because one of you was a teenager and dependent on adults and the, the other was an adult with their own resources. Did you avail yourself of any grief services? And if not, what do you wish you had had at that time or had been available to you? Do either of you want to take that one and run with it? Sure. Because what exists now is so different than what was in existed in 1981 when my mom died, which was mm -hmm. in fact nothing. 
Yeah, mine was 1984. And I remember my mom took us to therapy and the therapist gave her some conversation as they seem to be okay. Here's what, you know, what you should do. And then it was over. All the pictures came down and life kind of moved on. And it's interesting to me because I have always felt that fatherlessness is a little bit more silent. And a lot of women that I work with don't even really know that they've dealt with fatherlessness because it's defined mm -hmm. as a lack of an emotional bond, right? And so a lot of people are struggling with if, if I lost my father to death, divorce, abandonment, abuse, addiction, you're going to go in two different lanes, right? So mm -hmm. if it's death, it's more of idealizing what could have been, who they are, that kind of thing, and being very, very sad. If you deal because of abandonment, divorce, addiction in that way, abuse, whatever, there's extreme anger and not really knowing where to put this energy and this anger. And the way it shows up a lot of times, I think for me and the women that I deal with and work with and coach is they get their whole life and their life goes pretty well. And they can, on a piece of paper, check off all the things they're doing that are great. But because that woman or that little girl had to become an adult, maybe very young, if she lost due to the second side of things, she doesn't want to take advice from anyone, right? She wants everyone, she wants to give everyone advice. And I think that was the same thing that happened to me when I finally did the work in my 20s. When mm -hmm. multiple friends said, hey, knock, knock, you got some work you need to do. Um, and when I really did the work and take took the time to do it, I realized I was codependent. I was, you know, didn't really know myself. I picked a career that I wasn't really that interested in. But on paper, I looked like I really had it together. So I think what I would go back and say is, Therapy is going to change just as your grief journey does. I've probably had five or six therapists now. I'm 52 years old and I, I love therapy, but I also love coaching and finding a mentor or someone that can maybe point out to you, you might not be ready for this and maybe you don't want to go back to the day that person died, but there are things happening in your personal life right now that you could benefit from. Thank you, Hope, Meg and Claire, Dina and Ken, so much for being on the panel today. I the loss of a loved one can leave you feeling depressed, angry, alone, lost. But you don't have to face this journey on your own. Open to Hope is a free community for anyone who has experienced loss. Find support. Find help. Find hope. Give grief a voice.